Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cinematic Underdogs. I'm your host, Jordan Puga. And I'm your other host, Paul Keelan. And we're back with Justin Peterson, our resident cinephile. But this time, he's here to talk sports. He's going to bro down with us. For all those people who are not able to see this podcast, which is everyone, we don't put it up on YouTube or anything. Justin is rocking a Vikings hat and a, a purple jersey. He has got it going. What number's on that jersey? And uh, This is my... Uh brand new uh justin jefferson uh color rush jersey just came in the mail proudly wearing it despite the rough start but yes glad to be here skull i would say a rough start for the team but not for justin jefferson right i think he threw up some huge fantasy points that's right um yeah he was one of the leading receivers him and kirk uh got the stats but three turnovers later no uh no win yeah pretty abysmal start to the 2023 season unfortunately <laughs> yeah uh, but, but as we'll get into with this documentary that is not going to shake Kirk Cousins for those who don't know we are covering the Netflix documentary uh quarterback which covers as I mentioned here Kirk Cousins Patrick Mahomes and Marcus Mariota uh so we'll be breaking that down today for you all yeah so this thing is produced I saw by Peyton Manning that was the one thing that stuck out to me usually in movies we talk about the director or we talk about the studio who's funding it like a 24 or something here all the names i didn't notice at all or didn't recognize but i did notice peyton manning so we have like i would say the quintessential like veteran quarterback and i say that in the sense of like quarterback wise man you know he does the every monday night football with his brother and yeah. he's just shooting the shit he's talking like about quarterback the, play. Yeah. the modern voice of the quarterback right now like you said the retired modern voice of the quarterback i can get i get i get, I get what you mean by that paul exactly so it, i found that interesting i found that like he is almost trying to create something that looks into the existence uh professionally and off the field of what it takes to be a quarterback and what it means to be a quarterback so it's it's both reality tv and kind of simplistic and then if you come with a keen eye i think it's quite existential so i think a good way to start this off is to go quarterback by quarterback because it follows three did you uh catch what um peyton manning's um production company is i did not you want to throw that out there i think it's it's omaha productions you know his famous omaha that's good that's really funny yeah i think they did see that in the credits i didn't even make that connection so i'm glad you mentioned that and then um speaking of like Peyton Manning being like the modern ambassador of the quarterback position. Like I was like, who was the previous one? And like, like Dan Marino, like he was pretty solid on CBS sports representing the quarterbacks. And you had Steve Young on ESPN and they've just kind of faded into the background in recent years. So it's definitely going in the way of Peyton Manning and it's becoming this whole business. Cause I mean, he's like on NBC doing his thing. He's on ESPN. Like yeah. he's completely broadcast agnostic. He's like, he can be everywhere, all everywhere. Everything all <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. That's Peyton Manning for you. What I like about this, though, is like as a producer, like, we only have them do like the voiceover on the first episode. And one of the things about Peyton Manning, like we said, he's everywhere from commercials to you turn on Hulu. Now he's got the Monday Night Football sidecast with his brother. Uh, he's never going to run out of work, um, which I think can be like not necessarily off-putting, but I guess you can kind of get a little sick of it during uh, football season. But I mean, we're early on to the season. What I like about this, though, is like, I mean, he's a perfect voiceover for his thesis on um, that first episode, why a quarterback is the hardest position in sports. Perfect tone for it, like you said, without, you know, he, he doesn't have to say I'm Peyton Manning. You know, you know, the voice is there. It leads to itself. I like that. It was almost like this Morgan Freeman kind of aspect to this his documentary. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a cool drop. And then he disappears, right? He's just a producer. Um, I thought he we we're going to get that every episode. I'm glad we didn't, though. 
Um, it's nice getting, like you said, a little tidbit and him just being really serious too, because he's kind of a goofball now in the in his retirement with all his like all state commercials or whichever insurance company you think he has. And not, not to hate him, I think he's funny. Like he plays it really well. This is, it kind of gives you a cool reminder. Like this dude was fucking legit uh, in his time. This is kind of like, you know, he's looking at these next three quarterbacks who are legit in their own ways. I love that quote of his. I might be biased here, but would have to say quarterback is the hardest position in all of professional sports. What better way to, you know, like start your series by saying that that proclamation and then they prove it. Yeah, that was that was going to be my question. Do they prove it, though? I would love for them to actually explore that a little bit. I mean, I, I get that the series is but that's the thesis, right? And the series yeah. is supposed to be the substance. And I'm not trying to say that it's not true, but I'm curious to like just throw that discussion here mm-hmm. into the air. Like, yeah, I think they do, because I was thinking, obviously, when he says that line, you start throwing out different positions from different sports that are tough. And the first one I thought was like goalie and hockey. It's a hard ass position. Like it's kind of like the quarterback, you know, everything's on you. Uh, it comes down to you. You know, it's a little more um, not as planned as being a quarterback. Right. But I think after watching this show, though, I instantly threw that away. I was like, no, quarterbacks way more pressure in terms of the preparation, the compact schedule. It only being like 17 weeks compared to like, you know, 96 games, 70, 72 games or whatever the hell they play in hockey. Yeah, actually, I really especially watching Kirk Cousins, which we'll talk about more really made me respect the position more, even though I knew a lot of this already, but seeing his execution of it and the depictions, what they caught with his injury too, I was like, I think they did a pretty good job of thesis thing without going back to it again. Cause I was constantly thinking about it as I'm watching these episodes, they do a good job progressing it. Cause it's, you know, it's covering the whole 2022 season. So yeah, I go back to the point. I think, yeah, I think they do kind of answer that question. I think it's a great one. What do you think, Justin? Yeah. In terms of answering the question of is uh, the quarterback the the greatest position? I mean, gosh, the range of things you see with these guys from the cerebral aspect to it, of it, to the training aspect to it, to the, I mean, just imagine like, okay, you're you're doing this play, we're going to chuck it out. And you have what, three seconds to react before like a 300 pound guy just flattens you that going through your mind and to be able to just do that time after time, it just... And you see it all like put together on screen and what a crazy lucky cast they put together here with Mahomes winning the Super Bowl. You got Cousins going, making a playoff run, making one of the most miraculous seasons of all NFL history. And then Mariota is freaking tough luck, poor guy. To me, it wouldn't have to prove that it's the best because I enjoy it so much. It's one of my favorites, but I definitely think this, this series encapsulated three really, really fascinating people that have this job. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, a tough question, though, to really parse, because how can you compare apples and oranges? Like tennis players, I think, have a very tough sport. They never get a break. It's only them on an island. Like a quarterback at least gets... I think like, the way you phrase it, though, is like, is quarterback the hardest position in like team sports? Hmm. Team was, sports I, maybe that's the way I took that changes question. Because like you said, the tennis is like one Yeah, I'd have to look at the quote no. for sure. Right. It's bizarre how like yeah. this, like it's barely on IMDb or it's not on Letterboxd at all. Like I'm so used to like logging and throwing my thoughts uh, in on these things. And I get, there's n- no canvas until now joining up with the cinematic underdogs. There's also this new sport. I don't know if anyone has ever heard of it called underwater torpedo. No, that sounds crazy though. What is that? Yeah. My wife's like her, her family friend actually plays this and I don't even know exactly what it is, but it's a fitness sport that puts athletes like deep underwater, like 13 feet, trying to score goals with a pool torpedo. So you literally have to go to the bottom of the pool and like duke it out 
and then go up and get a breath and then go back down. And that oh, sounds like man. the hardest sport I can ever imagine. That like, sounds pretty sick. <laughs> it's hard to even go down to the bottom of the pool because the pressure, like 13 yeah. feet down, is pretty hot, intense. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah. We've so ever seen crazy. a version of this in the next Aquaman movie. They're missing a chance. Yeah. <laughs> That would be an epic modernization of that. It's like that scene in the Northman just with like sea people just dummying each other underwater. <laughs> I'm in for it. But I, I think I'm being a little, I don't know, facetious to a degree, right? I think it was implied that it's team sports. I think it was implied that it was like the top five American team sports mm-hmm. even. And Jordan, I think you have the best maybe counterpoint or counter um, argument. It's the goalie for hockey. Soccer, there's not enough like play. Actually, like yeah. I think a soccer goalie is quite terrifying because you have to sit there and twiddle your thumbs 90% of the game. And then you have like the most essential role at certain times. And mm-hmm. that duality makes it like psychologically taxing. Um, I would say the pitcher, if you are the starting yeah. pitcher of a game is insane. Mm, yeah. It's for a golfer. Yeah. But that's another one that is high pressure uh, and pretty and analytical as well. Analyticals keyword. Yeah. Uh, a catcher, you got to squat all game. You got to mm-hmm. dictate what, what's going to be thrown to a degree. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of difficult sports on the football field though. You know, the quarterback is the heart of the team. It's the heart of the franchise. It's the person that we as viewers and football fans associate most of our thoughts with when we like understand a team, it's usually through the quarterback. Not always. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, we'll think right back to Aaron Rodgers on Monday night. He ran onto that field with the flag for nine 11. Bam. Yeah. yeah, the face of it all, like you said, and like all eyes on him. And like I so said, the quarterback's always your eyes are always drawn to whoever has the ball, or who the ball's going to. It's inevitably the quarterback, and they're usually the face of the franchise. Not always, which I, I like this one, right? Because they kind of picked. I think I think of uh, Kirk Cousins now as part of the face of the Minnesota franchise, but Mar- Marcus Mariota has never really been a face of a franchise for a long term. So yeah, it's a good it's like Tennessee. sample of, of like you said of uh, what that role can be, like in terms of the responsibility, the spectacle, and how quickly that can. You know, that can be complicated using Mario as the example of how hard it is to, to keep that position. That's true, too. It's one of the most ephemeral and fickle positions in all the sports as well. Like there's like, I don't know, five or six starting pitchers on a major league baseball rotation. You can have a pretty down year and still be included in the rotation. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes they get sent to the minor leagues for a little while and so forth. But usually they just still like incorporate you in the rotation for um, Mm -hmm. almost any position player in baseball has to have a really bad year. I'm thinking of like Bellinger, like a a Dodger who was an all-star, one of the Mm -hmm. best players in the league. And then like two years later, he had one of the worst batting averages and so forth, but they kept playing with him the whole year. And so it just like shows you like every position in sports has a different level of leeway that they're granted. And I also find that quite fascinating. And if you have one or two bad games as a quarterback and you are not previously ingrained or substantiated as the quarterback in the face of your franchise, that fan base is going to start, you know, shouting. Yeah, they're going to be, they're going to get the pitchforks, turn into an angry mob. And imagine New England, get his ass out of here. Exactly. Uh, there'd be a funny wait for you in the parking lot when you get out of the locker room just to chirp you one last time. That'd be a really fascinating, like oral history piece, like a podcast where you just capture even re- you could just record radio station talk on different cities on just negative quarterback talk after the losses and get a sense of all the different ways cities and dialects and you know, kind of tribes and cultures basically process 
the same emotions in the same way. Like every city does it differently, but every city throws a hissy fit. And it's usually aimed at the quarterback when their football team loses yeah. almost across the board. And it's quite unfair, as I think we will see on this uh, discussion, because uh, I think that's a good place to start with Kirk Cousins. I think he's one of the most maligned and underrated quarterbacks in the modern day league, uh, the NFL. I think that he's largely misunderstood. He is a top tier quarterback, yet always feels like he's just a few bad games away from being on the cutting block, which is insane. And you might not feel that as a Vikings fan, but if he's not on the cutting block after a few bad games, he is going to be the talk of of like, this guy is a bust. He needs to go. Why are they putting up with him after seven years? And you get a lot of that in this. Like he's had a lot of success, actually. You already have Mike Florio saying he's a lame duck in this current season. Over week one already? <laughs> yeah, <Wow>. Florio. Throwing <laughs> us to the fire quick, quick. And he, you know, he, I'm um, not sure if you know, he's a Vikings fan, but you okay. know, as a big NBC personality, he has no bias whatsoever. He will throw us under any bus. Wow. Interesting. I was going to ask you for your sort of as a longtime Vikings fan. Okay. Your opinion on him just in general, like what you see his I guess, legacy as. Yeah. I was a little surprised at first because let's see, we had Case Keenum whenever we had the, the Minnesota Miracle. Um, and then the next season, you know, they trade him away and then get Kirk Cousins. And, you know, you'd always heard about him being kind of shaky at um, Washington, but I was like, oh, whatever. But um, I've just kind of taken in over the last couple of years that I'm a very positive fan while I'm watching a game. I don't want like a bunch of negativity. I want I don't want to be like, oh, man, the, the O-line sucks or, you know, we're just never going to come back. I, I want to be as upbeat as possible. Kills me sometimes when I log on to Facebook and see the Vikings fan just going crazy about how bad they're doing at any given time. So, um, yeah, you have Kirk Cousins and yeah, they, they say he has all kinds of stats, but, you know, can't produce at the end of the day. And, you know, his big hex was that he couldn't win in prime time, but actually his original hex is that he couldn't win on Monday night in the series. You'll see that he sidestepped that. He's like, oh, well, I have these Sunday night footballs around. I'm like, well, Kirk, it was Monday night that we were on you about, but um, I, I, I pull for him. I want him to do well, but, you know, he chokes from time to time, but, you know, a lot of them do. I was stoked to see him in this documentary. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks from last year because the Vikings had some of the most exciting games. Uh, you mm -hmm. could watch last season, like like as it shows in the documentary, like coming down to the wire, like week after week, and he was finding a way to lead them to that. Um, so I was kind of swayed as just like a casual fan. They they were like my, my favorite um Sunday morning coffee game to watch. Like I'd get stoked. I don't live. I don't get them all the time over here. But when the game would sometimes switch over, some of their games went to overtime. You'd get that switch over, and they'd just be such nail biters. Um, you know, Paul, Paul would get texts like, "Are you watching this? Like these are crazy games." So I instantly, I kind of just became a fan of of him on the field, like just you know the eye test. I'm like, this guy has something. At least as a as a leader, I think I think the team around him buys into him because he's he is making it happen. Like you said, unfortunately, they ran to the you know the Giants had that great run. But I was, I mean, people say you know you come to see this for um. Mahomes, but you stay for Kirk Cousins. I was more excited to see Kirk Cousins in this because there's I wanted to see that context behind those games because to me, like that was the that was one of the highlights of last season was the Vikings coming back from these crazy situations and pulling out these W's. Yeah, what um what I was gonna go for was yeah, like I actually, you know, I follow the team intently. I haven't really missed a game in 
ever since like Adrian Peterson was drafted. So I've followed the team very, very intently. So, um, you know, I was pretty familiar with where we were going to go with here. And, you know, I watch all the Kirk Cousins interviews and so forth. So pretty familiar. Some of these little nuances, like his relationship with his wife is, was adorable to take in and with his kids and, um, you know, some of the therapy things he does. But I was most curious about what people would think of Kirk Cousins after this, because this definitely humanizes him, make him a real person that you can kind of relate to and not want to dump on all the time. Mm -hmm. So um, having known who Kirk Cousin is um, the last few years and appreciating, you know, what he's done for the Vikings, I was mostly curious how this would change people's perceptions. And also um, what Brittany Mahomes, because she gets trashed on Twitter all the time. So, and I've always been, you know, thought she was very sweet, uh, lady. So, um, yeah, I'm very curious to see what the outside world, you know, thinks of these, uh, more polarizing characters. And if this, you know, more positive light, cause everybody watched Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, also was very curious about Brittany Holmes because she is utterly trashed on Twitter all the time. And a lot of that is guilty by association because she's always hanging out with Patrick's brother. Forget his name. Who's now like, I think he's in like jail or something for sexual assault. I don't know if he's in jail or he's in court or something, but he got in huge trouble because there's like a video that caught him. But he's just kind of like a wannabe TikTok star. He I rubs- being headline a lot of Barstool uh, sports articles around the Super Bowl. Yeah. Just like kind of being like, like you said, like doing not really publicity stunts, but just things that would get, you know, clicks. Yeah, he's just absolutely annoying. And then there was a game where uh, the Chiefs won. I believe it was the year they lost in the Super Bowl. It was the AFC championship that they won. Uh, it was a, the dramatic game. I think it was against the Bills, like probably the best game in the last decade. The one where there was like four scores in the last two minutes. And it came basically down to the, the coin flip yeah. debate of like, you know, Josh Allen crying on Twitter for weeks about like the heads and tails and all that. So everyone knows the game. But at the end of that game, she's spraying champagne on the, on the fans. And she's always up in that that press box that we right. see on this show. Mm-hmm. And people got really rubbed the wrong way that she's, uh, I don't know, just like the rich, just like dowsing <laughs> the general public with alcohol. And yeah, it's a little immature, but but also it, it's kind of indicative of why I like her so much. Is like she's a wife that genuinely loves football. You can tell, like she's fucking right really? there in the game with him. Yeah, I had the opposite reaction. I thought the other two wives were more genuine in their like love oh, yeah. of the game and like their support for their husbands. For one thing, I particularly Kirk Cousins' wife, right? She's very supportive, but she's from the outside stance. Let him do his thing, you know, kind of run the household and just you know he has his day off. Be there for him. Like, like I said, I love their relationship. Whereas Marcus Mariota's wife has to be like his tutor, right? Where he she has to run the plays with him. And it's essential because like at that stage, you see he struggles with it. Whereas Kurt has a, like I said, a rigorous routine. He listens to it, goes with, he, he knows what he's doing. We don't really see, we see Mahomes studying and all that too, but she's not really a part of it. And kind of going back to the, uh, in the press box, one thing I thought was really interesting is you never see her sitting next to Patrick Mahomes' mom and dad. They're in the same box for like for week after week. And they're on opposite sides. They don't even really celebrate and give her like high fives or anything like that. But they do talk to her in the game when she's like, she's like, I can't believe he's going to go back. The end of his game, but he hurt his ankle, right? Right before the playoffs, right? And anyone who knows, like, man, who would doubt Patrick Mahomes trying to go back in, right? The whole, her whole reaction that felt so detached from like the sport, like who he is as an athlete and as a man from, you know, like her, again, and her dad tells him like, he's he's a different breed. Like he's not coming out. Like in the way he, her dad says it, he's, he's like, that's my boy. Are you joking? Like, I know him. He's not coming out. 
he wants to play. You should know that. He's kind of like, he's kind of like, you should know that too. Right. And I, I, I can see a disconnect right there between the family. Like we don't see them on camera a lot. And this is covering like the whole year. Right. And we see Kirk Cousins family, outside family coming in. We see the Mariotas with the babies, like both, you know, we have two families giving babies. It's something that really stood out to me um, with all this footage. You couldn't, you know, kind of put that in there. I'm not trying to say like they hate her or anything like that, but they're, you know, they're definitely not close or anything like that. But I thought of all the wives, she was the one who, who seemed to be putting on errors. Uh, like I'd say she's the one in the box who would seem like, you know, she's in the box. She's not the person everyone's like stoked in the box, to be honest. Whereas I felt the other two wives, you know, people were there in the fan box. They're, they're with the people. They seem more of the culture, if you will, of that football culture. Uh, that was just my observation, though, for, from the from the span. Of that I love stuff. that junior uh, soccer video they happen to have of her where she's like, man, girls are tough. I play soccer or whatever. And it was it was kind of cool to um how impassioned they are about, you know, sports. And I mean, they show that they live in this this palace or whatever. But I've always, you know, thought Mahomes has, you know, had the swagger, kind of enjoyed him, didn't know much about him until he started winning the Super Bowls. And um, gosh, I had so much respect for him after the um the Super Bowl. And then the NFL films came out of him, like, you know, grunting his way through, you know, that um strained an- ankle or high ankle sprain or whatever. Gosh, uh, I admire the heck out of the guy. And it really shows you the different kind of leadership where mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins, whenever something's not going good, you know, he's very detached on the bench, very secluded. Patrick Mahomes is like, come on, everybody, get up. you know, let's hit the field. Yeah. Good dog. Good job, dog. I mean, he's talking so fast. He doesn't even know what he's saying, but, you know, whatever it is, you know, people are following him. Yeah. But, but to Cousins credit, though, we, we capture Cousins basically getting his ribs broken. middle of the season right and they mean with that mike and the amount of pain he was going through for like three weeks holy shit not only to make me respect him more but like again like seeing the inside of that dealings and how he persevered and was still so effective through it all again it just gave me such different context like again the the patrick mahomes angle higher spring keep going on was awesome story but kirk cousins you know same competitive leading and like i said like maintain that rigorous lifestyle to compete every sunday i was so and the way he does it with such workmanship and just everyday casuality i was so impressed by that the, the intense pain is you kind of laugh at it you, you catch him groaning a lot on the on the on the sound it's a, it's a brutal sound right it kind of becomes like a reoccurring joke almost like that that soot hut on the cleveland browns hard knocks with the fat coach who's like belly jiggled it's almost like that where it's like it could be a it could be like a meme but it is brutal like the fact that he was like that intensely hurt and, you know, he, he played through it and obviously didn't, you're never hundred percent, but played through and just like, you know, didn't make a narrative of anything like that, man. Again, just raise the level of respect I already had for him for that season, uh, which is why this is such a cool co- show. Like love the context of the year long span of looking at something versus like the preseason of like hard knocks, which is cool, right? Hard knocks if you pumped. This is really cool. Like going back and seeing some of these games and how, you know, what you remember from them and then. You know, tying that to like some sort of other narratives, I was saying unique, was like a fresh take on these kind of like sports docs that I liked about it. Yeah, I think so much of this is what preconceptions you have of quarterbacks and people coming into this. First with Brittany Mahomes, I actually had a totally different read. I thought she was being slightly playful, you know, like the wife who's concerned first of her like husband's well-being and health. But like even when she was like saying, oh, we don't go in, there was something cheeky about it where like I feel like some wives are like legitimately like not wanting their husband to go back in. Just in her tone, I could hear it that like I'm concerned. Like she's just nervous and trying uh-huh. to like exercise her nerves. That just was my read. Um, And I think Mahomes' dad is kind of like really like laconic and kind of shout like I think it's more her da- his dad just personality like they had quiet moments but like the only time they ever really got his dad mic'd up was like when they're hugging and he's Mike like his dad is 
sure. great athlete, yeah. he, which we learn about. But he's always come across to me as like someone who's very uh, introspective and inward. And so hmm. I, what I found fascinating, though, is like she is like such a big personality. And she's watching that game like either with with the baby or with like no one. She's just like glued to the game. It's not like a social occasion. <laughs> I, there was one scene where she was getting food and during the Super Bowl that I was like, why are you getting food right now? But maybe that's just nerves too. But I was like, how would you be able to eat food or even focus on food? But everyone has a different like flow as a viewer. But I was just like a dumb moment. But I was like, this is a key point. And like the camera was showing her like going to the back to the table to pick up some food. So <laughs> I could see both readings though. And it always feels a little like aristocratic to be up in the box versus Mariota's wife uh, yeah. who has a great scene with the fans. And where she's like blowing kisses to make the field goal miss against the epic game against Carolina, which was also in the top five, 10 games of that year with the final second, like 80 yard bomb touchdown and the missed point after and then the overtime win. And she was kind of putting a hex on it. That was really <laughs> funny. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I thought that um, Kirk Cousins wife was also way more likable and into football than I first got the suspicion that she would be from that initial episode. I was like, oh, she's just kind of going along with it. Like as a sort of Christian Minnesota, nice person. Yeah. But no, she legitimately was, I feel like a fan and a supporter of her husband and his professional life and totally knew the like gravity of what's at stake and enjoyed their Tuesday day offs, which was a really cool point. I love these types of, very meticulous protocols players and just professionals at that caliber create for themselves. But to go also with Cousins, I think one of the things about this season that impressed me was I had a notion that he was soft. I really thought he was a soft quarterback. And I actually thought he was kind of a dumb quarterback, but he is definitely not a dumb quarterback. He is extremely astute and he's also extremely honest about his strengths and weaknesses we you brought up justin the prime time curse or like he never performs prime time he's on the series quoting he's 10 and 18 prime time and he Mm. does give himself a little excuse but it's actually a very rational excuse he's like one of the reasons i don't win as many games prime time is because we're playing the better teams prime time so i think that kind of like almost defines who he is he's like an upper tier quarterback who's not quite the top tier like mm-hmm. he's not the top five. So whenever he plays a top five teams, he never actually wins. He never surmounts it. That's why he's a great regular season quarterback because he can mm-hmm. eke out like nine to 11 wins because whenever they play the mediocre teams or the teams that are kind of equal level to them, he can gut out a win. But whenever he plays a Mahomes, an Allen or someone, he can't push them up over that, that mountaintop. And so you just kind of understand that he has like a sort of threshold that he's aware of too because it's really bittersweet when he has to go to Arizona and do all the ceremonies for the Super Bowl and they had this amazing season that we talked about that was so memorable I put the preseason predominantly because I was looking at his stats for the last 10 years I put 50 bucks on them to win the Super Bowl and that's why I was watching every game for them last year because Uh I was getting money per game it was this promo that I got money per game back from Uh my bet so like they actually neutralized my bet before they even made the playoffs. They won so many games, which was awesome. But they had the most amazing season that any team had last year, even though it became a dud in the playoffs. But they were also cursed. There's nothing you want less. I'm probably phrasing this awkwardly, but then to play the team you just beat on the last game of the season, the first game of the postseason. That is terrible scheduling 
and I know that they can't Control actually it. engineer that scheduling. It's a fluke mm -hmm. thing. But the fact that they played the Giants last game and beat them in a gritty close game and had to play them again, you were just like, oh, they're screwed. Yep. They're screwed. They should have lost the last game of the year and then they would have won the playoff game. And that's sort of like uh, just like the karmic, the karmic flow of football because there's so much parody. There's little things that can go wrong. It's almost like what can happen will happen. And if you do win that last game, you will lose that first yeah. game of the playoffs. So. Yeah, the, the Vikings defense last season just paper thin. Like, if we could have ever stopped the Giants in the playoff game, you know, they might have had a chance. And I mean, it even came down to a, a game winning drive. And then, gosh, all season, the um, stigma over Kirk is, you know, he checked down to Hawkinson instead of, um, you know, chucking it down the field. And that has been all over him. And then this quarterback show comes out and they're like, oh, Maybe Kirk should be, you know, coming to work on Tuesday and, um, you know, talking about the the hard hits. So it's been interesting to see the stigmas and some of the interesting fallout from this show, like within the, like, you know, the fan community, how we talk about it. That's hard, man. They want to take his Tuesdays from him because of the documentary. Not cool. Not cool. I, <laughs> I thought that was genius. I'm not a genius, but I think it's smart. Like the more you take care of your body, especially like I said, I've seen the hits. He, I mean, all quarterbacks take these brill hits, but like. If he didn't have that Tuesday off, he would not have made it through that season. I want to really quickly go back to what you just said, Justin, about his habit, Kirk Cousins' habit of checking down to uh, the tight end. Because was it the fourth down play, right? Where it was fourth and yep. 12 or fourth and 15. He throws to him only eight yards. And uh, what's his name again? The tight end who you acquired. Hawkinson. Overly paid too. I, I, every player is overly paid these days. You yeah. can have a bad yeah, year. Yeah, he just got a new record contract. Yeah, it's bad. Anyways, you guys should have saved some of that money for your defense because your defense is poor. <laughs> and I thought it was fascinating to see Kirk Cousins discussing that play in a very, once again, analytical way, an honest way. Like you could say he's making excuses, but like his excuses are so logically sound and they're so mm. assiduously explained that it's not bullshit. Like, I'm sorry. Like I did not sense an ounce of bullshit when he's trying to explain his thought processes. He is getting sacked. They're showing the footage when he throws it to him. Either he gets sacked, he throws the ball straight up in the air, or he throws it to his tight end who looks like he's going to get tackled, but you never know what's going to happen. Like could perhaps his tight end did a lateral pass after he caught it or something. That would have probably been a smart at that point in the game because the game's over. But that's just a moment of like, you have zero chance. There's no one open down the field. He just went to his last option. So, and I remember though, that night, it was just all about that play and how mm -hmm. mediocre and how, I don't even know the word, but like lackluster and anticlimactic it was and how it, it was indicative of who Cousins is as someone who just doesn't have it. Mm -hmm. But it was actually like his offensive line let him down. He just, he was going to get sacked. Like I thought that was really interesting. To see this was to see these plays from the perception of the quarterback through the yeah. eyes of the quarterback and not only through their eyes and perception, but through their vast knowledge of everything that's going on, not only during the play, but pre-snap, like on that mm -hmm. drive home with his wife, that was probably my favorite part of all eight episodes was that like quiet, sad, so dour, depressing drive home where he says, mm -hmm. and I loved it. He says, we only have like, I don't know, I'm just going to bring up a number, but like 58 plays a game, right? And he says, if you mess up three, that can be it. And he's like, there's three plays I want back. And I'm paraphrasing yeah. here. I know I'm botching it a bit, but I absolutely no, love, close, that. love that conversation. And the way he talked about each of those plays was just phenomenal to me. And it was all on him. He was putting it on himself when he actually could have kind of put it on his other players. Like one, I don't know, his receiver had that ball in his hands 
on a huge third down, and it was a little yep. bit behind him, but still, yep. KJ did. Yeah, a, a great that receiver catch. catches that ball. Third down. You know, a Garrett Wilson or a Jefferson catches that ball. He talks about how he got a little ahead of his footwork on another play and threw the rhythm off that was key to the game. And then he goes and reads his kid a book and goes to his quite humble house with his like target shopping wife. And <laughs> it's just hilarious yeah. to me. They both He's like, like, oh, this is the part about the part where the ache starts setting in. And yeah, yeah. it's so such a cozy little home compared yeah. to uh, you know his peers there with. Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> yeah, he's such a quintessential like Christian, right? Like he is that too. He's such a quintessential. I remember when I was a kid, my mom went and did a trip to Minneapolis and she came home and she's like, I love that place. They're all so nice. And they have this phrase, Minnesota nice. Uh-huh. And they're actually very my mom. They're like very like Mormon. <laughs> Even if they're uh-huh. not Mormon, they have that Mormon sensibility. And him and his wife, they're so damn Mormon. I don't know if, what they are. They're Christian for sure. But I don't know what. Oh, yeah. they're not like that sure. Puritan work at the ethic yeah. and Puritan vibe to them. Kind They're of from Michigan, right? They are. Okay. They just have that humility too, though. They have a really impressive, almost Zen Buddhist stoicism to them. Yeah. He hides his, sorry, cut you off, but like the way he, like he does, he like hides his success, like the, you know, his trophies. He's collected everything, which I thought was really cool. He still has awards from like youth football, you know, like from like stuff that doesn't even matter. But, you know, he puts it in this little secret, like, spot away from like I said away from the family room like he really keeps that space like pristine and like you know like separate um Not where he has we. his little bat cave you know we, we get to see him show it off but even that was really cool seeing him even when he goes through like all this his success and you know he's very humble by it he's not bragging at all he's still aspiring which is really cool as he goes through this mountain of you know accolades and stuff and like you know there's so many different accolades you get for this position at quarterback there's ones that matter ones that don't matter but I did like that he keeps it all, and, he's, and there's like the sentimentality to it. To me, I don't know. It really spoke to me that he he's so genuine about like not wasting that privilege of being a quarterback in the NFL because that's what it is. Like it really strongly contrasted if you've seen like the Johnny Manziel doc, like someone who just like blows his opportunity in the NFL, right? And like kind of we get like this doc that's basically like him making excuses for like an hour why he didn't want to like do any work pretty much just want to get paid again which is kind of you know that's his thing but then you see like Kirk Cousins just like doing everything he can to like not be tempted by any of that and like you know build this really great vibe. I was like so fascinated by it just from watching that doc the you know the Johnny Menzel one and then just seeing these quarterbacks these, these three quarterbacks with Kirk Cousins in particular really you know compartmentalize his life in these different sectors uh from athlete to um kind of like self-renewal reflection, like you said, with his like recovery and his um, therapy and all that. And then like maintain this important balance of being a father figure and, you know, a good husband, all that. Like, but imagine probably the way he he spreads it all out and really plays all those roles really well and seamlessly based on this doc was just like, like, as I said, really illuminating. And maybe just, again, seeming in just a different light that I was not anticipating going into this. I was just stoked to hear more about what happened to these games. And now I have all sorts of just like, you know, more admiration, respect for Kirk Cousins because of those things. And when he you think his... of the um, the Margaret Thatcher uh, quote there up at the top of the the series, if my critics saw me walking on water, they would say it was because I can't swim. Yeah, no, that's about how he's the narrative, right? Has mm-hmm. turned against him, and I would say that's almost true for all quarterbacks, unless you're one of the few chosen ones, and you probably deserve it because you're one of the chosen ones, which Mahomes is, right? And Mahomes mm-hmm. gets the opposite treatment. Like he can have a terrible game and Chris Collinsworth is up in the booth giving him every excuse, every alibi, yeah. every benefit of the doubt. And he's earned it. I'm not trying to say that. Um, but it's funny when you're on the other end of that spectrum, 
you'd have a great game and then you throw one interception and here's here comes the criticism just raining down yeah all right well i think that's interesting it makes a good point to switch to like mariota because his story is you know i, I forgot he won the heisman and <laughs> how celebrated he was when yep. he showed up into the nfl right it's one of those things that's unfortunate because it's you know the nfl moves very quickly it's a thing of the distant past he's just been a backup for the recent memory for me but yeah <laughs> him like you said being the opposite of, of that spectrum of celebrated to all sorts of narratives about him, right? So going into him, I thought he was one of the more loaded characters actually coming into this because it's it's like, what do you make of him? Uh, like, which version of Mariota are we going to get in this? But uh, as we kind of discussed uh, already, I was really fascinated by his home life with him and his wife. And again, seeing how integral she is into like motivating him, I think and keeping him motivated was one of the things that really stood out for me. But what about Mariota stood out for you guys? I like the pivot, but I actually thought he was as like dull as a cardboard box and like i could tell that his wife was an ex-athlete and kind of supportive but it was just like they had nothing better to do than like build an I- ikea crib for the episode and then like yeah she helped him with the like ipads practice but that even felt engineered i don't yeah. know i felt he was like anti-personality i thought it felt like he was a, like for tv kind of a black hole but he's also a nice guy i don't want to like too much like dog him, but i think that i don't know he was just to me completely banal personally i mean he's from uh, hawaii he has that great like hawaiian background like think of monte teo think about monte teo's spirit yeah and like mm. i liked Mariota a lot in college i mean he's a dynamic player like he was excellent at oregon and like i said he's kind of chill like he seems like a a, a nice guy but mm-hmm. just i don't know if the cameramen weren't there but as we said like it seemed like his wife was forcing him to do homework and then he talks about being selfish when he throws a bunch of interceptions and then he quits the team in a selfish way. And the last thing of the whole series is him selfishly, like kind of complaining that he got picked up by the best team in the fucking league because he wanted to be on the West coast closer to his damn family. And he's playing like the most prized position and like the most prized sport in fucking America. Right. That guy just drove me crazy. <laughs> just to add up, I watched that episode and that was the preseason game where he got a start and he just fucking sucked. And I was like, it just like, like you said, I was like, I was like, bro, they're gonna have go? like they have cameras on this. There's gonna be like a blooper episode because of this one. Like, he drove me nuts, man. I was just like, you are gonna complain for getting picked up by the fucking Eagles? What? Oh right. <laughs> and I could tell he just wanted to chill with his family after he got put on second string and and conveniently do a surgery so he could make more money doing nothing riding the pine. I'm not a fan. He doesn't put in the work. I think. I think. I hope this is last year. He is on paper a perfect fit for the Eagles because he's actually the D grade Jalen Hurts in the sense of like his <laughs> yeah. play. You know what I mean? Like they have yeah. the same style, so I get it. He's a perfect backup in that sense. But he has now we know one of the entire documentary. Jalen Hurts is better as homework. That's what I'm just gonna throw out there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Jalen Hurts probably doesn't have a tutor for his playbook. No. Yeah, and the way Jalen Hurts like went at himself for that one fumble in the Super Bowl. Like Jalen Hurts has it as well. I'm curious who is going to be the three quarterbacks this season. They're doing a season two. And I just saw that Stafford is one because people saw that he was mic'd up on the first game. So we got Stafford and the other two are unknown. But mm-hmm. to me, Mariota, to go back to him, he also feels like someone that just is going through the motions, even the NFL. I feel like he, he doesn't have that fight and then like he gets kicked off the team and uh, gets the surgery and uh-huh. it felt like a very practical move but it also felt actually t- kind of cheap to me i did i was kind of with the like i don't know i feel like they were trying to show that he was being unfairly piled on uh, 
but yeah, for essentially betraying the, or um, abandoning the team after, um, and I think what the the coach says, he's going to go on um, IR. I thought it was it's fascinating how Mariota. This is like the last ditch attempt at him, like getting a starter job. He gets, he got brought on by the coach he was familiar with from Tennessee, you know, it was like, Oh, yeah. maybe we can have this fresh start in the Falcons. And it really shows you that grind of like the game could go this way or that way. And it goes that way and it goes that way. And then it's done. The, the young quarterback needs a shot and, you know, he needs, you know, knee surgery anyways. And um, so that was, that's the end of it. So yeah, like you said, his is boring, but also his is really a pretty good, the picture of the struggle. I felt like he was just stuck in quicksand, this dude. Like you said, it's like he doesn't have the drive, but he also wants to try, but he doesn't have what it takes anymore. Like, like kind of like you said, Justin. Um, and I like the way it comes down to those just those fumble plays, like they they recome back to, right? And kind of mm-hmm. like what you said, Paul, they kind of justify what we see on ESPN. They're bad fumbles, right? They're these this error he keeps making. Uh, we see him trying to prepare. Like I, said, I, I thought his wife was genuine because I felt like she was so annoyed that she had a fucking go over this playbook again with him. It was like, I felt like when she goes, she's like, this is your job. <laughs> this is your job. And I got to quiz you again. Right. That, that's what I was getting from her. I was like, kudos her. What a saint. <laughs> like, you need to get these fucking plays so we can keep this house. I, I was getting that from her. So I was, I was like, what? keep keep going with it. But the whole thing, like, I, it was such a bad season for him. It was a bad situation. Right. We knew he was going to get replaced and just seeing him kind of, you know, kind of have to carry that weight. It did make me sympathize with him more. But it also kind of confirmed, you know, the unfortunate truth. He just doesn't have what it takes to be a starting quarterback or even a backup quarterback anymore in the NFL. And that's that's one of the things this, that they kind of brutally depicted. Uh, as, as I said, we hit him and review like a portion of the season. It confirmed a lot of what what we saw that year. Opposite of like the Kirk Cousins story, where I'm just so much more context behind it through, again, through the perseverance of Kirk Cousins. But Mariota tries, but it's like it just doesn't. The cards are just too stacked against him, right? It's interesting to hear you guys talk about sincerity in terms of certain scenes. So I'm curious what you thought of like Kirk and like the bookstore and like oh, um, awesome. those moments he seemed to be like the only guy that was like actually like out and kind of actually living a life, not like, yeah. you know, like walking around with a posse or whatever. I could see him. I thought that was like in my head of because I'm cynical too. I'm like, oh, it's like a Barnes and Noble PR symbol. I'm like, this dude could probably walk around a lot of places unrecognized outside of like Minnesota. But he's on the road and stuff like that. Okay, he's like he's the new daddest man on the planet. Like, sorry, Daniel Cormier. This is now this now belongs to Kirk. My Cousin. wife dresses me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, I, I love it though. I can see him, and he's so like I can see him just talking to you know the uh, cashier like the way he does. Like, you got these books and whatnot, and being stoked that he gets a sale price on this table. I, I was one of those things like as a book nerd who kind of goes to Barnes Noble gets that stuff. Like, he seems to really like Barnes Noble the way I do. Um, I, I got as genuine from him when his, uh, the way his wife was talking about how, how she likes to shop at a uh, Sam's club and target. I was like, she totally does. I was getting that from him. Like his dude likes his like Sundays where he gets to do his book shopping. He's, he's like, he's like that dude. Yeah. I love that. And then he picks up the Dwayne Wade book and mm. he's talking about how he used to read these sort of sports biographies as a kid to learn about their methodologies. And now as an adult, he's more like comparing and contrasting what it takes to be uh, like a non-parallel entrepreneur, like a fellow businessman, I think is what he calls them, which is fascinating to me. He's very Silicon Valley in a weird way. Like he's he's someone of metrics and he's someone of the latest science quietly, right? He has the ice plunges. He has the physical therapists. He is a very like mathematical quarterback as well. So that's what I was so shocked about this whole series about his 
portrayals, there was a duality there. He had an intestinal fortitude that I didn't expect. The like, as you mentioned, Jordan, the hilarious like grunting that he constantly does because he's just getting knocked in those uh, bruised abs or um, you know ribs every single game, and he just keeps like grunting it out. And you know he he feels very relatable. He feels much like like the every dad, the every man, but. He's also quite an exceptional person. And I think a lot of that comes from his wife. Like, I love the scene after they lose and they just get blown out by uh, Dallas and they're yep. doing charity work and it, they have that whole Christian ideology. But I feel like they've truly and genuinely like absorbed it and they like live it. She's like, yeah, it's a good thing to do. Get away from his self-pity for a second. And it's just like this like greater perspective, like all those Christian ideals that are actually dope. Like they follow, they adhere to, they subscribe to. Though they're a little corny at times for me. Like when he gives his speech at the end, I'm like, it's a little corny for me. I still like genuinely like vibe with him and his wife. They're like both Cole's representatives and also like remarkable people. And their boringness is actually fascinating. Like the fact that he lets his wife dress him and so forth. He kind of explains, I don't even give a shit about what I'm wearing. Like, I'm so focused on the day to day. That's what I love about him. He's like both of them, but like him, especially he's just like a man of his task. He's got so many tasks that he doesn't care about the nonsense. So he's easily, he's just as happy to put on the chains if it helps build rapport for his team. Yeah. And as much as he feels like pretty fly for a white guy in that scene, and he's like the butt <laughs> of the joke, right? right. Like, he's kind of cool for that too. Like, uh, let's be real. The dude could fucking sing. Yeah, like I forget the fact that they mentioned he was in like a a choir or something like that, or oh, he was yeah. like a tenor Stream or something tenors. Like that, right? yeah, There's a really funny back. interview online of um this reporter from uh, Care Eleven in um, Minneapolis, and she has a very earnest conversation about you know like his love of musical theater and all this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Definitely recommend checking that out. I'm have to um, see that. <laughs> a lot of the resentment around cousins is it was interesting to hear you say uh, about the business side paul is how much money he makes and he had this big contract and he's been tacking it on as with these just passable seasons and it's interesting to think because like me as a fan i like i just like to root on my team i don't actually think of the players as needing to be accountable for like what they make and so forth so that's a very interesting way of thinking of like the business side versus the fan side oh, gosh there's this and some of the, I mean, the other stuff about Kirk Cousins, like I have to give a shout out to this um, YouTube channel. It's called Secret Base. They just recently, over the last month, put out like this nine hour documentary all about the Minnesota Vikings. And it's fascinating because of course they're not going to have footage from all of these games. So it's captured on like, like you see a visual field and little blocks about how like the ball is moving. And that makes it so timeless throughout the entire history of this team to see it all depicted like that, you know, with obvious like snapshots and oh, definitely have to plug that series big time. But it pointed out, like I had totally forgotten that during the COVID year, like Kirk Cousins um, didn't want to get vaccinated. It was against like, I guess his religious beliefs and something like that. And so he was getting teased in the media and he ended up getting COVID and and missing game. And, you know, they kind of like threw it in his face there. So yeah, there's little weird things about him, but I just don't judge people on those personal quirks when it comes to sports. So some of my perspectives as a fan. So I totally forgot about that because it kind of got overshadowed by like Aaron Rodgers, if I remember right, and his similar stance and whatnot. But. Oh yeah, he got pretty weird too. Yeah. <laughs> and just like there's certain groups that just you get put in that bubble and you could tell that he's also not the most like free thinking person. Like that's part of his success. I think we talked about this in the Monty Teo episode. We kind of uh-huh. got into this, but I feel like people who are Christian 
tend to be primed well for like sports like football because uh, they have a dogmatic way of thinking and that allows them to put up with the grind yeah. and and commit when it doesn't serve their immediate exactly gratification it's right? like the essential part of any championship team is like you said always buying into having faith karma, having belief right having faith right Most buying synonymous. into like, whatever the message is correlates one to one you have to have that like like as just said faith and that kind of overarching that draws them all i think during the at the fire at the very end he says how do i live up to my standards as a player and a person while not driving myself crazy doing it there's also a sense of blind duty though right like i mean there's something perfunctory about his life as well and even when he's being you know a great dad and in some ways it feels like he's so rehearsed that i was starting to get a little cynical as well i'm just gonna like put the other side of the spectrum there are times okay. when he's like tucking his kid to bed and it's not bad stuff i just feel like he's there is that little bit of a roboticism there where yeah. he's like just a well-trained good person yeah. and but then like sorry to play devil's advocate to get yeah. that great scene after that awesome win where he takes his kid backstage just like hang out in the locker room and that, that was like so like genuine that was like a dad like He's like, you see the Eureka one. He's like, I gotta go get my kid. He's like, this is awesome. I gotta go get the kid. You know, like, it's like. Turducken? Turducken. This is Turducken. The, the way he wants his kid to eat a chicken, like a chicken tender so badly. He's like, no, you're gonna have a chicken. These kids like, I don't yeah. want a chicken <laughs> Like, you're back here. Or strawberries. These bomb chicken tenders. Like, it's such a cool moment. Like, you never get, you always see locker room celebrations, stuff like that. But like, really mm -hmm. seeing him like, and it, like, you know, go with the kid and everything that I was like, again, just the documentary just kept confirming like how cool this dude is. Like, you know, and then just like, again, how good of a person he is. And how real of a moment is that whenever they get home after the Giants playoff loss and they're talking to the little one, he's like, oh, do you think we won? He's like, yeah, we did. And he's like, no, we won't. It's such a real moment of like, you know, kind of a family teasing each other about a sports result that I, de I definitely live in my household. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And he's so giddy to get his kid there, right? Like, so he has these great moments too. Uh, just in the day-to-day -day routines, uh, he's like a well-oiled machine. And there's something that like often comes off as like, uh, just like ingrained. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. But it what also interested me was that Mahomes had all the same qualities without the like Christianness. He's like the secular version of him. He's like cussing and rapping. He has like a cartoonish entourage. Yeah, yeah, he's crazy. Yeah, say, like, it goes to, like their even their architecture is like indicative of their personalities. Like he's building like the ultimate sports complex for himself, right? And, and Kurt Stone's like, you know, as well as my kids can go play in the front yard and we got a nice backyard. Like it's so like indicative of like, you know, where they are in life as men and re really of like their styles, like you said, of like, you know, their outward styles and in their charisma. I think is their houses really represent that pretty well, at least what we see from in the show, especially because like Mahomes is building this new one. Which is funny, right? We had the kind of process of like him building it. He's going to have a new kid, but it also culminates in the championship season, right? And it's just so opposite of Kirk Cousins because I really, we've been watching, you know, how it ends. You kind of want Kirk, you know, you want Kirk Cousins to win that game against the Giants. You know how good Patrick Mahomes is, right? At my point, I'm like, I'm like, God, I really wish they would have won that game. But again, going back to like the architecture and I, I was just fascinated by but as they're building this home, like just how different these two quarterbacks are in their, in the way they're, portraying themselves but also the way they're like received by the public right how much easier it is kind of for Mahomes as you said Paul because he's just been they've been pumping his tires from day one like one of my biggest complaints from his rookie season was like this guy is fucking awesome but if I have to hear one more time about how he used to play basketball and how his dad is an MLB player it's it's week fucking 12 I know that I don't give a shit anymore you know it was that is that kind of stuff like I don't care like he's awesome 
But this documentary with Patrick Mahomes made me like him more, but not necessarily like him to a degree where I'm like a fan of him. Not that I'm a hater of Patrick Mahomes at all like that. Like I said, obviously it made me a fan of Kirk Cousins. This just kind of confirmed how Patrick Mahomes is actually just a good football player, like we, what we see. It, yeah. it was a good insight on it. It didn't really sway my opinion on him as a public figure. Not like again, like I don't dislike Patrick Mahomes. I like the guy, but it didn't really like didn't move the needle for me any direction in, in mm-hmm. terms of like the do I want to dive more into this guy in terms of like looking into like his accomplishments and whatnot. But what about for you guys? Did it make you guys respect Patrick Mahomes more? Did it kind of detract your respect from him? Do you think he's a fake? I mean. I mean, he had a miracle season almost, like one of the all-time seasons of any athlete ever. Like the whole ankle in the playoffs performance is up on the level of like Michael Jordan's flu game throughout three games and better than that to me. Him hobbling around just relentless, completely unwilling to take the easy out. There's so many quarterbacks in this damn league who make $80 million and are happy to get injured and sit down. They truly are. They're like, well, I'm injured. I'm going to take the seat. I'm sorry. There's a lot who take the conservative. And I know because it's in the back of their mind, they got a lot of money and they're playing it safe. Like Lamar Jackson. He's the complete opposite. He's just like, I'm going to fucking win. No one's going to stop me fighting everybody on that sideline. I watched all of those games. So it was great too. Like I watched every single Chiefs playoff game last year. So to just to see the behind the scenes Mm -hmm. drama there, I absolutely love. Justin, you called it out right, too. He is never not on the second he shows up at Arrowhead Field on a Sunday. I love the episode near the end where he goes about his routine. And, you know, he's just talking about, like, the music he listens to, how he never walks on the line, how he goes to both goalposts and kind of prays. He goes to the center of the field. He goes to the one end zone right before and does this rah-rah thing. And then once he's going, man, he's just on it. And he's on everyone and he's positive. And he's energized and he doesn't think he never goes inward. He never goes negative. He talks to himself in the third person, which is hilarious and cusses himself out. But whenever he's cussing himself out, it's with this confidence of that's not me or you're better than that. And it's this like fortitude of self-esteem. Like he knows he's the man. He knows he's him. And I, I was just completely in like, sold on Mahomes. Unfortunately, as Jordan said, when you become the chosen one of a league and and with sports discourse being so kind of thick skulled as it is, it's very like slow moving. I'm talking about like the narratives we create over the season. We've seen this a lot with our recent college football episodes we've done where like a Monty Teo narrative gets constructed, right? And then suddenly he's up for the Heisman or uh, Johnny Manziel, right? Those Heisman trophy candidacies were mostly their side narratives than their play on the field like johnny manziel and monty Teo are proof that the meta narrative is so essential to how we interpret these athletes even though we're all watching objectively yeah i want to call it data but like experiential happenings events and spectacles and so mahomes has a kind of a a redundant and overplayed and overhyped narrative at this point but just to see his day-to-day work ethic, I thought was kind of inspiring. I want to put a pin in that because I want, Justin, for you to give some of your two cents on Mahomes and what you took from this series in him. I just think he's the, the absolute baller. I mean, I just so inspired by his drive, his his will. I want one of those things in the gym he was pulling on. I don't know what the heck that thing is, <laughs> right? but it looked fantastic for getting those good 
shoulder stretches in and like his trainer, he's just like, oh, we got to make him bend in different ways so he can like move in ways you're not wanting to move and how he side throws, like just like a shortstop, like it says, it's just like, oh my gosh, so inspiring to see this guy. And, you know, he's so like mobile on the field and to have hear that gutsy performance. And I threw in the chat there that it definitely reminded me of the gymnastics landing from Kerry Strug in the Olympics. Um, yeah, just one of those all time, like, oh my gosh, that dude is totally hurt, but he's willing his way to victory. And um, I think it's pretty, pretty sweet. So I'm not quite as cynical and um, looking at these guys, uh, you know, like kind of dissecting some of the interior motives, which I, I think you're spot on, <laughs> Paul, with uh, Mariota there, unfortunately. But um, I dig Mahomes. I don't want to see him win any more Super Bowls. I think some of these uh, these poor uh, fan bases like the Vikings need to finally hoist the Lombardi. I'm with you on that one. That was one of the teams I wanted to put a future on, which I still need to. But yeah. No, I'm, a, I, I'm with you there, too. I like it when the Super Bowls spread out. But going back to some of the things you're bringing up, that's what I was saying when he's the whole package, right? I, unfortunately, I didn't even properly finish that thought. But Kirk Cousins does the homework as well. Like he truly yeah. studies. He talks about how he like first started playing football to possibly escape homework and didn't know that he was going to end up doing homework longer than anybody, almost doctors, right? Like <laughs> I don't know how old and still has to do homework every week. And that episode, when they're talking about the the language and the memorization that they have to ingrain into both their their memory, but also they have to get it on such an embodied level that they can also be leaders in the moment and not waste a second of that. It has to be instinctual, thought. almost yeah. like it's a, a foreign language that you you know how to speak and can speak it in the moment. Yeah. Um. So so he's got that, and he he definitely has the next level of like he cares about his body and he understands what it takes to go through the work week as a professional quarterback. But what he doesn't do is the one thing that I think puts Mahomes above everybody is he's got those trainers who are avant-garde. Like they are the cream of the crop. Their metrics were insane to hear when he has a dumbbell and the huge weights on his shoulder and is like (laughs) doing the jump steps and the guy's telling him every step, how high he's getting like you said, when he's doing the sort of baseball swings and he's talking about the metrics and the way he's learning to increase the rotation of his shoulder cuff so he can do different types of passes in different situations, like that stuff is fascinating to me. The t- the fact that he has an A day, a B day, a C day, it's that regimented, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I'm going to bring it up again because I, I wrote it down. A day, it's for regeneration and rejuvenating tissue by manipulating the body in space. So it's just like dynamic, opening yeah. up the tissues, reducing inflammation, right? This is like hyper scientific, dissected, meticulous focus on the body and on physicality and on recovery and on preparation for the next game, right? And then B day, it's about movement literacy and power development. And C day is full speed. And those shots of him going full speed, and they actually has to ap- operate faster than in the game. Mm-hmm everything you have to go faster you have to do what you're supposed to do in the game with weights on you you have to make it so the game is easier than practice and he gets it and it comes into play like that's why he's so damn good that's really why he's so good it's not all this other stuff he's not the chosen one he puts in the work that with the like you said the chosen physical abilities true he's got it is a combination because he does like Um, because he has that dexterity he can do those workouts like Kirk Cousin probably couldn't do the same workout as Patrick Mahomes, unfortunately, right? Like, I mean, let's be real. Like, I mean, they're Older. both physically fit men. They're both pro athletes. But, like, at this stage, his career, Kirk 
there'd be more trouble for Kirk Cousins to start learning that type of shit than just like accentuate what he has, right? And like go, go in a different direction, which that was the other thing I found fascinating. Because like you said, at this point in his career, it's more of a mental thing for Kirk Cousins. It's more of a show up every day. Like he's accepted the physical capabilities he has at this point. Now it's all about executing those to the best degree possible. Whereas Patrick Holmes still has space. That was, that was the thing that's kind of like not scary, but like awesome. He still has so much space to learn. Even though he has that natural talent, the regimen, you can still see he's still a, a student of the game. Uh, whereas Kirk Cousins kind of graduated. He's ready, he's ready to, you know, close the doors. And it's fascinating with the like the physicality we're seeing now with um, the preseason becoming this total joke in terms of, hey, let's just throw out our third strings to see if, you know, they get a shot at making team. Don't start in the players. And then they get out there in week one and they're fumbling the ball and Yep, they're going to be yep. sore as hell because they haven't been hitting each other. And so, yeah, it's a new uh, era of uh, NFL with the preseason pretty much becoming useless. Yeah, no, Paul texted me, what did you think about free one? I'm like, it was, you know, a lot of mistakes because <laughs> no, one's, no one's ready to go. It makes for exciting scores and plays, but, like, they all yeah. come down to, like, that's not going to happen in week you know, five, six, seven and beyond. Like, they're going to be dialed in. Mm-hmm. That was my first observation of week one. Exactly. And the observation was like the biggest play of week one was Aaron Rodgers injury. And it's a freak accident. A lot of people are blaming it on the turf. If you're a player and I get that there's some discourse to be had there. But the other thing is like, if you watch hard knocks, Aaron Rodgers barely played. Like he was mostly on the sideline in a shirt and on a headphone or in the red shirt at practice. He never played tackle football. So he's coming at whatever age he is kind of cold. Yeah. They treat like a porcelain doll in hard knocks. Yeah. And so point in case like that that's a that's a narrative or that's a perspective on the injury i haven't seen as much but that's my was one of my first thoughts was like oh four snaps in he's not he wasn't ready for the season his body was not warmed up enough i'm sorry like he didn't do the proper stretching or something and i get that it's a freak accident and it was you know his achilles popped but like and i get that the the dynamics of turf allow that to be more common like this but at the same time i think that if he was properly stretched out if he had some more play this might not have happened there's no knowing the truth though what i also found funny though and surprising this is kind of connected to what will be our hard knocks episode coming up soon is that mahomes pointed out to connect it back to quarterbacks that aaron Rodgers was his most influential quarterback i was kind of shocked actually by that answer i was expecting someone else but it's once again proof that aaron Rodgers is the quarterback for like the Gen Z generation of NFL players. I don't know if Mahomes fits in that. He's kind of younger still. So I think he does. I don't want to get specific on like years and ages, but as we see in hard knocks, all the players on the jets are like, yo, I was watching you when I was in the crib. Basically (laughs) he's like just told again and again, how old he is. And you have Mahomes point out that Aaron Rodgers was his number one inspiration. I found that pretty fascinating. The other thing I thought that was fun about Mahomes was how nicely he fits in and aligns with the Chiefs approach to the game, which is super innovative. They have this thing called the lab, right? And they're fun. And they have these names for their formations and plays and schemes. They have like Roadrunner and Catching Kelsey and the Piano Play, Arctic Circle of Death. Uh, They have one based on Pokemon as well. Yeah, something like Uh, Catch Them All. Yeah, Gotta Catch Them All. And I like that they call it the lab and they have a day of practice where it's purely creative. And it just shows that like the great teams uh, like Phil Jackson's the triangle or like the Warriors, uh, there's a level of creativity going on with their team. And I think that's the X factor in some of these games. 
like those plays are the X factor. And they made so much uh, of a point to show that like the Pokemon play was a bust, but the very next play, they got a touchdown. I feel like that might've still kind of screwed with the Eagles head, even though that play was a bust. So what do you guys think about that? For one, I I was stoked that it was called the Pokemon play because I remember seeing that one live and thinking it looked like a game of like Duck, Duck, Goose. But the fact that it was another like iconic nine, like, you know, Childs game, fucking awesome. Uh, but go ahead, Justin. I want to think about, about it from the uh, the Kirk Cousins point of view, because so we're really fortunate to see this dynamic between um, Kevin McConnell, who is a, uh, a Patriots guy. He was in the Bill Belichick system, uh, won a Super Bowl with the Rams. Had the mentality to be a good quarterback, just, you know, didn't have the talent, wasn't there. So you have this guy that didn't quite make it, but he's, a, you know, a really aspiring offensive mind in the league, um, you know, mentoring Kirk. And then they have this whole like sports psychologist aspect. So to see that dynamic back and forth of like, oh, you need to listen to me. You got to trust me. And, you know, whenever he's very introspective about, oh, I, or we're not close. This field goes not close enough or so much self-doubt where, you know, Mahomes is like, he never for a second doubts that he's going to lose until, you know, unfortunately he has to uh, shake the other quarterback's hand at the end of the day. And that was fascinating to see the, um, him and the Joe Burrows uh, rivalry that's already uh, getting, getting hot and already seeing it. Was it a uh, three to one now? Right. Yeah. I would love to see Burrow on the next year. Cause I feel like Burrow's a player that I'm sometimes amazed by. Sometimes he feels like the most mediocre quarterback in the league. And I want to see like, his approach to the game. I want to see his regimen. I want to know if he's actually good. I truly do. Cause like some games he blows me away. I know this is coming off a really poor start and it's the first week and whatever. That's why it I'm makes not even it so good though. I think, sorry to cut you off. That's I'm with you. I want to see Joe Burrow. Cause he's like the other side. I think Josh Allen would be an obvious choice. Obviously Lamar Jackson, but yeah. I think Joe Burrow, because of that rivalry, like we talked about three to one is a big part of this, of uh, the show. And it's, it, it is like, it, it's another part of, I mean, Josh Allen and, um, Mahomes is a is a great rivalry too, but the fact that he's that Burroughs is three one on him, and the fact that you said Paul they're starting off so not so bad. He started he had a bad week, right, and just makes for a good first episode, kind of like Mariota, right? Seeing him struggle in the beginning, but here we have another quarterback who has a squad who can help raise him as well, and he's showing him into the playoffs. That that's one I hundred percent agree with you. Joe Burrow would be the one I hope is mic'd up this year, if not him, Josh Allen. Um, not Lamar Jackson would be cool, but not this year. Josh Allen would be dope, dope too. So uh, Russell Wilson, behind the scenes of him, and then um, who else is struggling? Um, That'd be a good one. Russell. I like the Russell Wilson one, though. I'd be really interested to see him. He's oh, like- Dak, Dak, Dak. To see what it – because not only does Dak have to play, you know, be a black quarterback on this humongous expectations team. I mean, it's the freaking Dallas Cowboys. So mm-hmm. not only does he have to be this quarterback, he also has to be the face of this – enormous franchise so or even like um jordan love you know taking over the mantles from a huge quarterback so these storylines yeah they're they're all over the place and be really fascinating to see them explored i want to go back real quick to your comments about how mahomes has his self-belief and cousins has his self-doubt because i think it somewhat comes from the top down i actually thought really highly from an external view of kevin o'connell and i still think he's a seems like a pretty solid coach But man, when I was watching that Bills game, which I saw live on TV, I think that was my number one game of the year last year. Even though no one else thinks it, even like Cousins doesn't believe it. I still think he like crossed the line on that quarterback sneak. Like I, from one angle, it kind of shows him 
And I, I, I know the rule that if even the nose of that football touches that white line before your knees on the ground, you, you've got a touchdown. And I think he got it. I'm like still like pretty convinced that he did, but who cares? Are you talking about the one where him and his coach are disputing where he should have gone for it? Yes. And I thought yeah. that Kevin O'Connell was being a terrible coach in that moment. Yeah, that... And I think that there was many moments when he creates doubt in his quarterback. He yes. did not have because it was the back. opposite of the lab. It's the opposite of like you just described. You described why the lab is so fucking cool. And like like you said, it, you see it play out week after week for the Kansas City Chiefs with like Mahomes and Chelsea. The connection they had this year, that season was awesome because like you said, that flexibility they had without Tyreek Hill to to supplement that with that creativity. You don't get that at all. Like you said on that play, I agree with you. That was one where he was kind of, not like shame, but like he didn't have the backup that he needed to make that instinct call that he had. He made the call. It was his his call to make, and he just didn't have the support that like Reed would give Mahomes, right? And you see it game after game, especially on the injury ones. I, I agree with you on that. Well, to me, Kevin O'Connell puts up this facade as someone who's got it all together, and he often actually deflects blame. And even that moment, he was doing that because his main hmm. gripe about Cousins there was yeah. that he should have called a timeout to figure out the right formation. But he's just playing Monday morning quarterback because the damn coach has the power to call fucking exactly. timeout. Like he could have called a timeout. So why is he going to be saying that to his quarterback? Just like utterly like had me fuming when I was yeah. watching this. <laughs> like, what are you and, talking about? You can go to the referee if you want to have if you have a play in mind and you don't trust uh -huh. your quarterback enough. That's your job. If you're going to trust your quarterback to go with his intuition, you're going to live with that decision. And he sure. obviously trusted his quarterback to go with his intuition and then tried to like play this pity card of like, mm -hmm. I had a better play in my back pocket and you didn't allow me to use it. It's like the, it's a fan mentality. It's not taking accountability. Yeah. And it's a head coach. You're the person who has to take accountability. I feel like cousins was more mature than Kevin O'Connell throughout the season. There was many moments where this stuff would go on. And Interesting. Cause me as a Vikings fan, having watched most of the Kevin O'Connell interviews, he's very self-critical. He's very, he's always taken a lot of blame on himself. So it might've been, you know, like whoever's cutting together this documentary might have maybe woven some of those maybe contrasting approaches. Who knows? Or there's the Kevin O'Connell, which to me is very put together and performative. And he knows that a coach uh, needs to do this, but when it comes to the moment, when it comes to the emotion of like competition, He's kind of petty. He's kind of not yet there. And he's kind of, he's a rookie coach as well. Like it's just, I think it's first, mm -hmm. that was his sure. first year as a head coach. And I'm being overly intense on him. <laughs> I, I, you know what I mean? Like I'm being on Mariota, but I was just like, how dare you like go to your quarterback in this position? You still have an overtime to play. Maybe mm. th at that point they didn't have the overtime because they had to come down with that crazy fumble yeah. on the one yard line. So they probably thought they lost. So I get it. Weak. But even so, like you have the rest of the season, you don't immediately go to your quarterback <laughs> and start just like deflating their confidence, not only because they just had this terrible performance on a fourth and one on the goal line. You know, I mean, he's already going to be filled with self-doubt and self-loathing because he didn't make it in. And then you're just going to say that it's to me, it's it's kind of. It's kind of lowly and immature. So that that I still think he's a good coach, but that was like he has got some learning to do. It's definitely a and, standout moment for sure. I'm with you on that. Right. And there was a few other moments like that that happened as well. But I, I think there's also just a it shows, like you said, Jordan, like the creativity of of certain teams and certain quarterbacks. And the problem with a cousins is he's not as versatile as a quarterback. He's not. He's, more He's not as mobile. They can't like roll him out. Like they didn't have as much to do on a fourth and one. 
it's actually quite a dangerous play with a quarterback like Cousins who can't sneak it that well. So you can either do a running play or kind of like a fade pass, and those are both yeah. dangerous. Maybe you know, like play said, More importantly, he's a quarterback with experience who's not going to quote unquote go out on his shield and throw like an interception just to throw an interception. Make make a play that's not there. Like you saw, like you like you broke down that 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 throw to uh, their tight end in that one. Like yeah, his reason all, all valid the, why he made that play. With all the checkdown debacle, like I was watching on um the Tampa game and gosh, there were so many, they were trying to get the screen game, screen game going and they kept getting hit behind the lines and getting set back that way. And, you know, they're already in like doubt because, you know, Dalvin cook is now with the jets. So now we have the um, uh, Madison who is right behind him. So he's taking the lead, um, you know, cause they're doing kind of the running back by committee approach, which is much, much different from Minnesota. So um, the last thing I want to talk about too, is we talked about a lot of Mahomes on the field play, right? But we haven't talked about his personality, like his home life uh, a lot. We talked about a little bit like his basketball, sort of his narrative. But I find something that's quite interesting about him. One, that he's still with his high school sweetheart. Yeah. And two, that he is such a goofball. Like he's kind of a goofball when he's talking about how he needs to finally get rid of his mohawk because he can't be an adult with two kids and have a mohawk. Just like when he's rapping. He seems like this mature dude. But then like in the interviews, he seems like this, you know, kid, you know, like doing a high school interview is very night and day in terms of an intensity on the field compared to like his, you know, really laid back demeanor. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't find him the most like sophisticated by any means, but he has it all. He has everything you want. I feel like he comes off as like a evergreen high school quarterback. He's got the <laughs> raw, raw, like love for the game, uh-huh. right? He's got that youthful optimism that's borderline quixotic and you need that and i feel like part of his power is his naivety to a degree like his sort of like and i think there's a quote towards the end of the series that says like if you don't have that you know naive drive to win at all costs i mean i mean that's he just says that's what it takes but then i also like going back to what we just said i feel like he has he's in the perfect time period for his skill set and with like the classic quarterbacks that give him enough competition, they're going to keep him hungry enough to, like you said, maintain like that jovial spirit, which I think is like the key to his his talent. Going back, like you said, like his um, ingenuity, like going back to the lab and all that. Like you really see it. Like he does not like that he's three to one on bureaus. He doesn't like that he's in the same conversation as Ellen. He's and I'm saying he doesn't like that in the degree that like not like he's hateful about or antagonistic. He wants to prove he's like better than all of them. He still has time. To do that i think he recognizes that like like in boxing i'm you know he, he gets to be like the promoter like he's like there's all these great competitors i get to actually like make those fights with there's a limited time and one, one of them is 301 one of them's creeping up on me a little bit and like I, I i feel like he's like just taking them taking advantage of what he's what he's got right here and that's one of the other things that's gonna make him there's like just again cement his leg his uh legacy because it's already a myth in progress with the way, way he started out his career and and his family history and all that and the fact that he's lived up to such high standards um, and hasn't really hit that wave of like true hate yet. I, I think he has enough motivation with the current, like, you know, like situation out there, the, the current um, competition out there to really drive him to not, not fail. <laughs> That's, I think it's just like the interesting thing to me is like, like I said earlier, there's still room for him to grow. And I'm interested to see where he goes. Cause he's so motivated, motivated, I think to say above these, this next class that's coming up. Cause there hasn't been a class of quarterback to come up that, you know, than their current class. That's really like challenged them or really, you know, has them or the press like pumping tires yet. Um, and I think that's something that he can take pride in and really build this just awesome brand around. Um, going back to the quote when he made that awesome opposite of Kirk Cousins, when he made the 
the leaping into the red zone play and what's his name compares me to like the Michael Jordan, right. Of current NFL. I'm like, right. he has that opportunity to really seize that and do something with that. Like to be LeBron level and be Michael Jordan. I'm, I'm so interested to see how, how he gets to play out with that in these next, this season, next coming years, hopefully. Yeah. For me, this series very much solidified that he knows that. And that he's after that though yeah. too, right? Like he knows that now his goal is greatness to be one of the all time. The best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it's really interesting too to like think of all these quarterbacks and their scenarios and what the league means to them, what their career means to them, what their legacy means to them, right? Mm-hmm. Mariota is very much like a sort of an eccentric journeyman quarterback who who somehow gets like starting roles at the beginning of like seasons randomly, but you never really believe in him and you know he's gonna fade out midseason. Um and he's kind of, like I said, going through the motions. Cousins is uh, your salary man. He's a guy that's going to put in 10 years and be solid and give you a good 10 years to look back on and have some fond memories, but never really, you know, put you over the top. He's going to clock in and clock out and do everything you want him to do. You can't complain, but he doesn't have the greatness, right? And Mahomes is the guy that he now has both the most pressure on his shoulders and he has a lot of pressure off his shoulders, right? He's had so much success that I think it allows him to be playful. It allows him to talk about how Burrow has his number with a sort of a plum. He's sort of nonchalant when he's saying that too. He's kind of having fun. He kind of like revels in that. He's like, ooh, it's this like extra thing that's going to like give me a sort of competitive bite and give me some. Oh, did like, you see something. the latest thing that um, him and Justin Herbert are both in the subway commercial, like, like as yeah. combating spokesperson people? I haven't seen that one yet. No. no, I have. And that plays off of him quite well, right? He's like kind of mad that someone's trying to steal his limelight which is what jordan said he's like a little worried about the new up-and-comers now because he's already uh entering i would say like the second wave of his career well, yeah peyton manning owns every commercial like, he's got to share all state and all these other ones once peyton manning's out there you gotta you can't you can't sleep on peyton manning is my point on that yeah he, he owns that market i mean but russell wilson has the most iconic commercial so wait wait, wait which one are you referencing the subway <laughs> oh oh i totally oh my god i forgot about that one it was years ago <laughs> yeah anyways I think that might have been a meme. Maybe I'm messing it up. Maybe I've had too many drinks already. But oh, yeah. he like there's a Broncos country let's ride. And they also have him a bunch with where he's wearing like a chef's hat and then like Mile High Stadium's on Great. fire and he's like flipping oh, no. burgers. And there's one, there's there's a like I'll find it in a second, but there's like a famous meme about him and Subway sandwiches. That's a whole nother discussion of who has the best commercials <laughs> of all quarterbacks. I'm like Baker what, Mayfield. What? Oh, What's your y'all's like vested interest in like any particular team? Um, like you know, you probably got the instance that you know I ride and die with the Vikings. Like with them losing to the Bucks when they were expected to win, I was like completely dejected the rest of the day. It was oh, okay. it was awful. So um, yeah, I'm curious to see like how emotion how how does football affect you emotionally? Yeah. So for me, like uh, I'm really into it more for fantasy football. My wife is like a diehard ride or die 49ers fan, though. So that's always on. We always watch those games. Um, like in terms of I always have teams I like to watch every season, though. It, it, it varies for me, though. But like, like I said, last year was the Vikings. Like I said, that was my Sunday morning for for the West Coast. Like I knew it'd be a good game. Like I, I was I was what I was stoked for Chargers because they always fucking blow it. But they have such a good team. Like they have good pieces. I'm always I always love to watch that train wreck. I, that, I was watching a train wreck. That was the opposite of the Vikings. Uh, Vikings was like inspirational and Chargers was like, let's watch a train wreck happen. That's uh, like my, my my season tradition. My point being, I don't have like an actual like NFL. It's not like hockey for me where I'm like a diehard Kings fan. I'm very much, I just very much appreciate the sport. And like, I'm just invested in like, usually like the storylines or certain teams each season. 
it usually changes. But over the last few years, I think it's been the Vikings, Rams, Chargers, and then the Lions. The Lions the last two years, like like everyone else, been a big fan of. I love that underdog story. Uh, what about you, Paul? Yeah, so when I'm, I'm watching many games, I'm through the lens of a sports better first and foremost. So I'm like worried about like the under over. I'm worried about the halftime uh, spread. I'm worried about how many yards X player is going to get. I'm wondering who's going to get the first touchdown. I'm wondering if it's going to go to overtime, if they're going to have a flip. I'm, I'm throwing many, many bets at every game usually for fun. Uh, that's because I'm kind of a dilettante and kind of a bandwagoner. Um, but I'd say more than that, I'm quite postmodern. I don't really have a team in the NFL. I never have. And so I care about the narrative more than anything. So when I'm not in better's mind, I'm in like a narrative mind. And I'm sort of incorporating what is known, what is being said on the broadcast and what I'm seeing. And I'm often trying to question also as I grow older what is being said and like how that is shaping the public narrative of this event and whether that's bullshit, just to be frank. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I like to be quite critical of the broadcast and I, I'm very impressed by their jobs. I like broadcasters. I think that they add much to the game and that. How, where do you stand on like hot take culture where like Skip Bayless has created this whole new sports yeah. journalism drama of, you know, arguing talking heads, like taking the Fox formula and, you know, spinning it into the sports, you know, political arguments. It's a sliding scale for me. I mean, some of the guys are just pretty doltish. Like, I don't feel like they have very interesting takes if it's a hot take. So I don't, they're just being tendentious and trying to get clicks like Skip Bayless. I'm not a big fan of, I actually like some of the hot culture guys a little more. And I think that it doesn't necessarily always come down to X's and O's either. Like Did you I see think... what's being done with the uh, um, inside the NFL now. No, clue. it's been mo- it's it's been moved over to CW. It's now they said um, it used to be the show the pros watch. Now it's the show everyone watches. So I really like the the backward step of like, and they got a whole new cast of guys on there. Uh, and yeah, they're on this um, you know local cable uh, or network, actually not local. network broadcast channel. So nice. it's neat to see them try to be more relatable in that aspect. Yeah. The one I really like is Amazon Primes with Richard Sherman and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, and I'm forgetting right. the name of the female anchor on there who is they have such great chemistry, good like insight. They're funny. I'm I'm opposite. <laughs> I hate Tony Romo's commentary. Paul always has to hear me bitch about Tony Romo, but like he's opposite of what I want to hear. Troy Aikman, more my style. We were talking earlier about uh voices of quarterback, and that is one for me is Troy Aikman those has a perfect balance of sharing personal insight and just laying the play unfold and then giving his, his analysis, which I think is a, like, you're going back to what you say, hot take culture. It's a lost art today in the realm of like, you know, like even like UFC commentary of just of making a narrative while it's happening. Um, That's something I'm, I'm not a fan of. I'm a fan of the old school call the play. You have a color commentator highlight insights of facts and, you know, little anecdotes, um, not making up what your eyes are seeing, but can't actually confirm yet. Uh, that's one thing I'm not a big fan of. Uh, which I, I love the Ryan Fitzpatrick and um, Richard Sherman because they're really good at hedging their comments and giving player insight of like, without saying like, this is BS. This is what's really happening when, when the coach is talking. I, I love that. Uh, so that's that's the direction I really hope uh, like particularly like NFL commentary goes in. Not the Tony Romo way, the more the, the Amazon Prime. I think Amazon Prime is a great setup. So I hope that catches on. Yeah, I mean, personally, my uh, favorite, I think analyst in the NFL is Mina Kimes. And she's 
primarily just tweeting. I think she's on the like the week NFL game day show or something. She's on an ESPN show all week. Um, and she's like a Ivy League South Korean, I don't know, 30 year old woman. But her analysis is always like so astute, funny, brilliant, savvy, clever, dynamic, bringing something completely new to the table. Then on the other side of the spectrum, like there's someone I kind of like for a while, like uh, I, I don't want to botch his name, but I probably will. But it's Emmanuel Ako or Acho. You know that guy where he had this whole thing where he was like either against Tua or against Herbert. And then he like let it ride so much. And it felt like such a gimmick. There's these guys who are like constantly trying to be gimmicks. They're trying to create a gimmick. Contrarian, and sort of, yeah. It's that, but it's like they're also like literally starved for attention in a way that you can see them just throwing shit at the wall all week until something hits and then trying to go viral and it's just too try hard for me and there's some people that like rub me the wrong way i think robert griffin jr is like both a little bit but i kind of like him too sometimes he's a try hard but i think sometimes i i think he's got some if he's not just good inside i think that he's i don't know something about his personality and his his rhetorical flair works with me but definitely my favorite is mina kimes um, it's fascinating to see like folks like like Joe Buck has been doing it for so so long. Is this is iconic voice of like sports and gosh, what was the other commentator I was thinking of? But yeah, Joe Buck and um, I mean the guy from uh, NBC Sports who recently um, you know finally stepped away. So. Yeah, it's weird. Part of me likes them too. Reminds me of, like the late '90s, early 2000s. Like, uh, what's the old Pittsburgh Steelers coach? He's on CBS now. The oh, whole CBS um, team is such a boomer team. And sometimes yeah. <laughs> I like to watch those, and I just feel like I'm a teenager again, going to Denny's or IHOP, and then gonna watch the games on a Sunday. And it's like it takes me back to like my like childhood, and I, I it's fine for that. I feel like CBS is like the boomer channel for all. Of yeah, it. <laughs> it really is. Actually, the female Power, right? Amazon Prime Power. was Chris Thompson, but you're totally right. They're the the aging section of that because uh, uh, the the NBC uh, Sunday Night Football team is much better now. I forgot who you're representing you kind of left but it's kind of balanced was, out a little more they kind of stayed a little past the, the demographic but even like yeah. kirk Herbstreet, street i mean it's like man he's been he's been at it for 15 plus years and it's amazing how time flies and we have these these huge figures and these um these iconic moments yeah i mean Voices. you know herb street we're going into college right but then you got like lee curso you got the, you got the whole game day crew and they're just icons as well but then they're adapting ever so slowly right because they they throw in um what pat mcafee now to get some new blood in the game and there's all this like divisiveness around him being there but i think he fits they need someone that's a little tailored to the younger audience as well mm-hmm. the last thing i want to really quickly say about mahomes the last thing i thought was so great was his strategy of sweet-talking the defensive linemen throughout the game. (laughs) He's so good at it. He's so good at it. He's just constantly complimenting them, being cool with them, and he's just very transparent. He's like, if they're going to hit me all game, I'm going to just try to take the edge off just a little bit. And if I'm sweet-talking to them, if I'm nice to them, if I'm complimenting them, they're going to just pull back a little bit from that Again, mm-hmm. like going back to what you said, he's like the MGM. Like he's also the fucking Wayne Gretzky and Sidney Crosby of this goddamn sport. He's literally like, literally like caressing guys that don't hit him that hard. That's such a move for those kind of like you know baby face stars, right? Uh, but I'm with you though. He has such a fun way of kind of like massaging their ego and like you know playing it safe. Like we said, these guys are gonna hit me week in and week out. Might as well do what you can so they don't fucking dummy me. And then you have Kirk Cousins, who most people like relish to hit him, and he's miraculously gets up time after time after time. He doesn't miss games. It's, yeah, 
he plays he plays through those broken ribs like a fucking champ. There's something about injury resiliency, and often we think of it like it's an accident or happenstance, and a lot of it is, but a lot of it is like different preparatory things. It's uh different types of bodies and it's different types of mentalities as well. I mean, so let's uh, give our final take if we think this is an underdog or an overrated series. I'll start with our guest, Justin. So Justin, what would you say? Do you think that people should definitely check this out? This is an underrated sort of sports talk or is it like overrated content? And we're in a deluge of this sort of genre of real life reality TV sports documentary. So where does it fit on that for you? Documentaries are hard for me because I'm always like, I'm one to just to kind of follow the narrative and not be too skeptical of what's being told me. Um, I definitely would say it's an underdog. It, I mean, there's so much human in it, human elements that it, we can get anybody kind of interested in checking out. And for me, it really just comes down to the fact that I appreciated my homes, but man, I think he's a beast now. And I've, you know, Kirk's my boy, but um, you know, it's, it's neat to see a little bit of the, um, you know, like the Coles cash side of him. <laughs> That's a quote of the episode right there. To Justin. Yeah. Jordan, how about you? Yeah. All right. I was trying to think of how to like gauge this one because I'm obviously a fan of this one. I liked it. But I think it's an underdog in terms of both like the Netflix, like untold kind of style documentary. It's not the same thing, but in that vein. And the hard knocks we're used to always watching preseason. Um, I like that it does like the opposite of hard knocks. It's a season long scope. I like the three just players, individuals, because when we watch hard knocks, there's always just some players we tend to draw to ourselves towards. Um, and I like that in like Paul mentioned, there's a shit ton of NFL content out there. And I say in the best way or football content, I should say it's a lot of good football content right when the season's starting. And this was one of the better ones to watch to actually get you pumped for week one, because it's, again, it's like a retrospective last season. Last season had some great games and these two teams, the Vikings and Chiefs had some all time bangers. Um, you can't say that about Mariota's story, unfortunately, but you know, it, it's in there. But the other aspect, those two, like by the time you get to episode eight, and it's just the Chiefs, right? It's really cool. Right? It's a good episode of like combining the playoffs with the Super Bowl, condensed in like an hour. So it's not overplaying one end or the other, which I thought was interesting. I thought they'd maybe split that up, but they really like, you know, laid out the significance of, you know, how quick that actually happened. I thought it was an interesting editing choice. Uh, you could easily, like I said, make two episodes, but doing it one was cool. Um, but my point being, in, in all the NFL content that's out, football content that's out there, I think this one is one of the one that really resonated with me more. Um, we'll obviously have other episodes. We'll go into depth about these. But this was one that gave me, like I said, new perspective on Kirk Cousins, uh, made me respect Patrick Mahomes. And I said, confirmed, you know, the trajectory he is on. And it made me hype for the next season, as we've already kind of like alluded to. Um, and I can't really say that about much else I watch in that football realm. I know there'll be more content and I'll watch it. This is one where I'm like hard knocks will be hopefully a new tradition in the NFL kind of canon. Like I'll get to watch hard knocks and I'll get to watch this quarterback show. That's kind of sounds kind of cool. But what about you, Paul? Yeah. One of the funny things is that as much as we're seeing this as a variation on the hard knocks template, the latest season of hard knocks almost feels like they're worried about this and almost trying to copy this with it becomes like the Aaron Rodgers show it's like it's like an extension of quarterbacks it's like less about the Jets almost than Aaron Rodgers just a side note uh, another little Wait, but to tag on to that yeah. weirdly the hard knocks has the coolest like week one trail in that's not has nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers had to do with all the little rookie dudes that were on that right mm-hmm. and it was kind of an underwhelming show so there's also yeah. that to it right there's this, there's a cool thread to that one as well 
Yeah, so we'll just leave those as little tiny like cliffhangers for y'all to listen to that episode that's coming up next. But um, when I actually heard about the show, I had thought that it would just be like an episode on Kirk Cousins, an episode of Patrick Mahomes. And I think if they would have done that, a lot of people may have skipped around like, oh, I don't care about Kirk Cousins or whatever. But to force people to get immersed in each narrative by you know having kind of equal time i thought it was a really clever move in order to draw in people that may might have think oh i'm not interested in the vikings quarterback that's a good point because i would not have been staying for Mariota after that first episode you're 100 right on that yeah i mean to me that i think is the perfect point for when i'm sort of self-reflecting on whether i think this is underdog or overrated because i started off very lukewarm on this i didn't quite gel with the editing at first I didn't like the way that like the season went kind of forward and backward in weird ways because the NFL season to me is such a chronological thing because some of the uh-huh. narratives were on different plate in different places. Like we would be on like game four or five with Mariota and still on game two with cousins and stuff like that. And there there wasn't a concurrency that I was wanting. Okay. because uh, it was just kind of jarring to me that they would be at different points of the season on the show, which is part of the difficulty here is they're trying to both create some sort of cohesiveness in the chronology of the season, but also weave it together with three different quarterbacks, right? And not have individualized episodes. And they're also trying to web together or spin together a thematic linchpin for each episode, which I found pretty fascinating, right? Like the first were very generalized, like the quest and homecoming, right? Um, The quest was just like introduction, just kind of a vague term, but homecoming was like, you know, Mahomes goes back to Texas Tech. Yeah. You have like Cousins showing off his trophy room. You have Mariota talking a bit about Hawaii. Yeah. Is that the one um, he goes back to Oregon? Yeah, no. I think it's where he goes back to Oregon. Exactly. But the ones that really, really worked for me and when this started to click was Kings of Pain, right? When we get yeah. <laughs> the brutality of the job, right? Yeah. And we really get to meet the physical trainers. I love that part. I love seeing all those people in the background. And then the mind game. So we learn about the intellectual aspect of the sport and then we get roller coaster and under pressure and winter go home. And there the inside joke of last season, the NFL was a scripted spectacle uh-huh. comes to life. It's like, not only was it quote unquote scripted, which it wasn't, but like it felt scripted. It was so dramatic and like perfect. It was so perfectly scripted for this series. Like they couldn't have picked three better quarterbacks with all these yeah. epic games that they just lucked out. They just hit gold. They got some of these classic, instant classic games, and we get to see the behind-the-scenes stuff on them. And you rarely get that with the Hard Knocks yeah. uh, series. So just can't touch that. So for me, for that reason, it's an underdog. It, they they lucked out. They had a few great episodes thematically, and then the end, they just had Mahomes' greatest run yet. Mm-hmm. And so it was just great. It was fun. So underdog, highly recommend it. And... We are in an inundated moment with with sports content, with football content, but it's not something that I would miss. It's definitely still adding to the narrative of this season. So anyways, before we sign off, Justin, where can our listeners find you uh, and your podcasts and all that? Well, we are the uh, Average Joe's Movie Club cast. Uh, you can find us on YouTube or the various podcast formats. Uh, I'm Justin Peterson on Letterboxd. That's where I do most of my uh, you know throwing down of the movie thinking. And I'm also, uh, let's see, what's my Twitter handle? Or the X handle, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this ever changing. I yeah, am like- at MovieJustin198. Cool, cool, cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for everyone for listening. 
Jordan, you, any last send off to our audience? Yeah. Did I get trade rate for taking um, Jared Goff for Tyler Boyd? Let us know on Twitter. Okay. I, I try and, I'm trying to trade Goff for Boyd. <laughs> trying to backstab my beloved Lions. And I'm trying to decide if Paul trade rate or not. Let me know. <laughs>